Happy Monday, my Liberty Kitty Cats. And for those of you that heard my interview with Vin Armani two weeks ago, you know that he has some advice for those here in the Liberty Movement that are located in the United States. And that advice is to get your shit and go. And I quote, to get your shit and go. It's becoming very clear to anyone paying attention that political dissidents are going to have a hard time here in the U.S. And that's why it's time to seriously consider leaving the United States. That is a simple fact, my friends. And if you are like one of the many, many people who are now seriously considering leaving the U.S., you have got to check out the amazing resource that is the Expat Money Show, hosted by my friend Mikkel Thorup. If you know that taxation is theft and you're sick of paying so much damn money to support the war machine every year, this is the show for you. If you see the writing on the wall, if you see the creeping totalitarianism that is overtaking this country, this is the show for you. Mikkel helps provide you with all of the tools you need to lower your tax burden, and find more freedom outside the United States. You want to check it out by searching for the Expat Money Show on your favorite podcatcher or just head over to expatmoneyshow.com. I'd also like you to invite you to a Facebook group, a Facebook forum that I actually help moderate. That is the Expat Money Forum. You can find that over at expatmoneyshow.com slash forum. My guest today is the chair of the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles, but she is not content to stop there, my friends. She has announced that she is now seeking the chairmanship of the National Libertarian Party. I'm so very pleased to welcome my friend, Angela McArdle. Angela, are you ready to roar? Meow. (laughs) A meow is actually a low-level roar. It is a type of roar, I believe, technically speaking. I'm ready to roar, man. Let's do it. Awesome, Angela. And it's great having you on here. Now, you've been on uh, the Greater Lions of Liberty podcast in in some way, shape, or form before. You were on with Brian McWilliams last year on Electric Liberty Land, and you also were part of a debate about whether the Libertarian Party should even exist uh, late last year. But this is your first time getting the proper Lions of Liberty Mark Clare interview treatment. So, you know, we have to do, Angela, what I always need to get to the bottom of when I do these interviews with someone for the first time is, is how did this all start for you? What is the Angela McArdle libertarian origin story? Oh, man. Well, it's sort of like an act in a, it's a play in three acts. And I don't think any of them are particularly that interesting or compelling. But I do think that it's good for people to know about my background. So I grew up, you know, in a in a conservative Christian home in Texas, a very stereotypical story, I think. I moved to California as a teenager and met some people who were libertarian, you know, like in the music scene. And I just had a conversation with a guy one time. He was like an older rocker guy in the community that we all respected. And he he was telling me when I said that I was a conservative, but I didn't think that, you know, like the war on drugs was a good idea. I don't think my friends should go to jail for smoking weed and that I didn't really care about, you know, gay marriage. And I didn't understand why people were upset about it. Like, shouldn't gay people just get married like if conservatives want them to be like conservative gays or something like who cares and he said well you you know i think you sound more like a libertarian and i thought oh cool you know like then i'm a libertarian i'd heard that word before it sounded good to me so i just stuck with that you know and uh i got i got a little bit more red pilled when i read the creature from jekyll island by g edward griffith and that is that is quite a, a deep dive that read. That is not a, a quick uh, you know sit down for an hour and and have a casual read. That's a that's a that's a big one to get into, Angela. That one really imploded my worldview, and got me kind of you know borderline obsessed with central banking, the Federal Reserve, the whole thing. I thought, wow, like, everything I know is a lie. The government and uh, central banking are evil. I I don't know what to to think about everything else in the world that they impact. So that made me a lot more like 
libertarian, not just in the, hey, I, you know, I'm a libertarian, but like I care, you know, and I want to know more about it. I think the Federal Reserve and the money thing probably doesn't get enough credit for how much it can wake somebody up, uh, that particular issue, because I think, especially to a lot of us that have been around a little bit longer, like, I don't know, like, I'll admit, even I have gotten bored sometimes of the Federal Reserve talks. Like, yeah, 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 fiat money. I know, I know. But I, I hearken back to to my younger days when I was just starting to figure this stuff out. And it really is a mind-blowing moment when you realize that it is red-pilling because you realize that from the time you are a child and in school, they talk about money, they talk about savings accounts. It's never mentioned once. I mean, maybe in passing. I don't know. I don't think I ever heard the Federal Reserve mentioned one single time, definitely not in high school, probably not even in college, maybe casually in an economics class, but not, not as anything of significance, just as something that's accepted. Uh, but when you realize that there's the been this organization that has been controlling our money and it's and it's never been brought up before that's the red pill moment when you realize wait why has no one mentioned this entire thing that seems rather important that a small uh cartel of banks controls our money and is granted a complete monopoly on it by the government and we don't even talk about that i mean right you know like i was i was a nerdy kid but i was not like a finance geek I remember feeling like very suave as a teenager when I would occasionally look at the Wall Street Journal if I found one. But th this didn't, you know, reading that book, it wasn't like part of a progression. I read it. I saw the cover. I thought it was interesting and it blew my mind. And then, and then when I started learning about Ron Paul and hearing him talk, it really brought the whole thing 360 degrees. Then I realized, okay, you know, like that's not some conspiratorial stuff that I kind of got freaked out about. Like it's very real. Here's a person in office talking about it, and he's getting hated and attacked by the other people that are running against him for it. But there's like this wave of young people who are really enthused and excited about it. That was really like, I really felt like I like came home with libertarianism in that moment. You know, it took, it kind of took like three steps, I think, for me to really fully get it. I think that's what took a lot of people from perhaps like a libertarian at heart or a libertarian as a hobby, something you think to yourself to like, oh no, this is a real thing. These are real issues. This guy's on TV talking about it and being mocked. Like this is something, and there's, and I'm not the only one. There's other people out here. And this is where I think a lot of people found their genesis from libertarian to part of you know, a greater liberty movement. A lot of people don't like that term, whatever. But the point being, realizing there's there's something greater here. There is actually, whether someone wants to call it a movement or, or not, there is a movement. There's there's a large swath of people that see these things, that have these beliefs. And it wasn't just me sitting there uh, thinking it to myself, you know, reading Creature of Jekyll Island until four in the morning and just, you know, shaking, shaking my boots about all the evil machinations going on. There's actually something out there to connect with. Um, and that sounds like that's something that happened to you as well. Yep. That's pretty much, you know, it's like first I get turned on to the, just the concept of it. Then I read the details, but I feel kind of in a bubble about it. And then I realize like, you're not in a bubble. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's thousands, maybe millions of people who feel the same way. Now we're all finally starting to get connected and talk about like, what the heck are we going to do about this? So what, what did you do about it? What was your first step once Ron Paul kind of inspired you uh, like he did with so many people? Uh, what did you do first? For me, I was like, okay, I have to start talking. For me, I just started sharing YouTube videos for a while uh, on my MySpace page, not to date myself too much. And eventually, of course, got into uh, forming Lions of Liberty and, and going into the podcast. But what was your first act when you realized, I, this isn't just something I can think to myself. I have to actually go, to, go out there and do something about it. Well, I started talking with a few more of my friends, you know, but like selectively, like the friends who had already mm -hmm. said they were libertarian or conservative, but sounded libertarian leaning, you know, not just like knee jerk, like social neocon people and trying to get their opinion about it and perspective. And I realized my circle was not as broad politically as I thought. And I did feel, you know, still a little bit isolated. It wasn't until I started getting active politically locally that I started meeting other libertarians who were really like knew what was going on. Um, one of the first things that I got really involved in was fighting against the LA County proposed ban on feeding homeless people. And it, it was, it was a grassroots efforts by a lot of grassroots groups. We got the ban, you know, tabled. That's the term basically that they, they weren't going to actually vote on it and enact it. They brushed it aside. But during that political activism, I did meet other anarcho-capitalists and it was like, Oh, it's that, word, you know, 
that I'm familiar with, but it's like, it's really harsh sounding. And I don't know a lot of other people who have any interest in that. And, and I got to meet some people that was fascinating because most of the circles that I moved in were very left anarchist. So that was pretty cool. And then once I started working on the SB 277 referendum, which was my next big project, which we didn't ultimately get a success electorally, but for people who aren't in the know, California has mandatory vaccinations for anyone who goes to public or private school, and you can't deviate from it by one shot for your child. Or private school. That's private interesting. School. So if you believe in vaccination, but you're like, mm, you know, I don't think my kid needs uh, every single shot all at once. I think I'm going to push them out by like three months so that they just don't get injected with everything at once. You can't go to school. You got to homeschool or move out of the state. You got to you got to find a way around it. It's very and there different. is there is no exception. Like you can't even get a medical exemption to that or a religious <sighs> exemption. No more religious exemptions. A medical exemption is wow. very difficult to get because they track the numbers of exemptions that doctors give. So it's I won't say it's impossible, but it's nearly impossible because so many people want them and doctors just can't give them out or they'll get their license revoked if they do too many. So that really, that got me plugged into the liberty movement. And I started to meet other like very serious, dedicated libertarians who were working on that. And that was, I think, in 20, 2014 and 2015, uh, when that was a big deal. And around the same time, I was also working on some cannabis initiatives, trying to get us full legalization in California. You know, we have limited legalization here, and it's it's way better than nothing. But as people who tried to enter the industry will tell you, Prop 64 was not very helpful. Most people still have their products in warehouses from a year and a half ago saying, what the hell, man? Like, you told me that if I voted for this thing, I'd get a license, I'd pay a fee, and, and that hasn't happened because the bureaucracy of it is, is astounding. You know, like, it was very poorly designed. So that was how I started to get more plugged in and really meet other libertarians and and started talking to them about, like, what I had learned, you know, like... It, it was a, it was kind of like a, at all one thing caused another thing, caused another thing, caused another thing. So how did you go about, um, kind of taking this, I guess, low level street level activism and going from that to not only getting involved in, in the libertarian party locally, but, um, I want to say quickly, I'm not sure how long exactly you were involved before you became chair of the libertarian party, but, um, in, in Los Angeles, but what made you really seek out the path of the libertarian party specifically? Obviously, you know, a lot of people have various different opinions as you've uh, aired out on this show, uh, about what, you know, the, the utility of the libertarian party or whether it makes sense to even use it at all. What drew you to the party and has continued to make you see this as such a valuable vehicle for promoting the ideas of liberty. Sure. Well, initially when I got involved in the party, I was just going to local social meetups and I thought of myself more as an anarcho-capitalist than somebody who would ever run for office. I'd had, you know, my successes sort of on the outside of politics, like fighting against it. And the California party chair at the time, whose name is Ted Brown, he's a wonderful guy, said, oh, Angela, you should run for office in your congressional district. And I said, oh, no, I don't think I want to do that. I got one of those calls from, from Ted once, right? too. Right? <laughs> and I, I said the same thing. I said, maybe, maybe someday, but I'm not, I'm not really looking Well, I said no, because uh, it was a special election, and I said no again. And the third time, I finally relented and said yes. And that was a really incredible experience, because it was one of only two elections happening in the country at the time. It got a ton of media attention. We were all over CNN. It was a complete circus. I was the only libertarian running, and there were over 20 candidates on the ballot, plus write-ins. And I got people putting microphones in my faces and asking me what I thought about taxes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that mic didn't stay in front of my face for long. Oh, I think we should get rid of them. Oh, well, that's, yeah, you're done and moving on. <laughs> oh, moving on, yeah. But I got a taste for what you could do and how many people you can reach in the party structure. Just by running, just by yeah. being there. And it's because the Libertarian Party exists. So, you know, love it or hate it, it exists and it, it provides a valuable platform for people. And, you know, it doesn't really matter, like, what flavor of libertarian you are. You, get, you can still, you know, if you get the endorsement, if you got your name on the ballot, you, you get to talk. You get to say your piece and to the public. I had an interview with the L.A. Times, you know, like I was really shockingly included in the political process in that race. And... You know, after that, I decided I'm going to run for chair of L.A. County. You know, like I chaired my 
my little uh, sub county affiliate, you know, we're all broken up into regions. I chaired that first. And I thought, ooh, you know, like I won that election. Let's try another one. LA was a complete mess, a mess when I inherited it. And I thought, I think I can do better than this. I think I run my little meetup group pretty well. I bet I can do the same thing at the county. And I did, you know, I, I won that election. It was contentious. I won the next year's election, which was allegedly going to be really contentious, but I, I won the election really easily, you know, and, and I won this past one, you know, I've, so I've won three times and we've made incredible progress. And that has really shown me that it is worthwhile because I've seen how it can get cleaned up at the local level and grow and go from being basically just like dead, you know, to actually accomplishing stuff and getting in the news and backing candidates, having new members. And, and, you know, now we're fighting against the lockdowns and things like that. So we went from being sort of like dead to existent to, you know, functional to now I feel like we're valuable. I don't think people realize how small your local libertarian party chapter probably is. Uh, even if you're in a major city, you would be surprised uh, when you show up and you realize, oh, if I bring five friends, I can like take this whole thing over yep. in, in about a week. I mean, it, it's really can be that small. And especially when you're someone that is uh, that is well-spoken like yourself, that can put sentences together that, you know, not to disparage anybody. I've met a, a, a good number of amazing libertarians out, out there, um, especially out here in Los Angeles. Not everyone is, is uh, eloquent. Let's just put it that way. You know, it, it is actually a unique skill when you can get up in, in front of a room and, and speak to people. Not everyone has that skill. Right. Some of the stereotypes are true. There's a lot of really articulate libertarians, but that's not all of us. Um, and to give people an idea and understanding of like, what does it mean? You know, how, what's small? So we've got uh, maybe just shy of 11 million people in L.A. County. I got thousands of people on my email lists and hundreds of those people will show up to events throughout the year, which is great. But I've got around 230 dues paying members who are active in the city of Los Angeles. Now you may, that's pretty good actually. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, I, I, the, that's an impressive number. That's the size of a lot of state parties throughout the Midwest. They have that many dues paying active members in their whole state. And I don't mean to put them down, you know, and I, I have, you know, a little bit of an advantage, but that sort of tells you, you know, like what it might be like at a county level in another state and how I sort of, what I compare LA County to, you know, I don't compare it to other city or county affiliates. I compare it to other state affiliates. So, you know, just, uh, just take that information and do with it what you will. If you're thinking about getting active, you know, in the party somewhere else in the country. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about what you actually plan to do running for chair, running for national chair. Um, we've talked a lot about how, you know, how you can impact things locally, whether it's by running for uh, running for office locally or, you know, forming local organizations. Uh, why are you, are you looking to go from, uh, well, it's hard to call Los Angeles small, but, you know, a, a small chapter affiliate straight all the way to becoming the chair of LP national. Why did you not, you know, want to first say run for state chair or that sort of thing? Why specifically are you now running for uh, the national chairmanship in 2022? Sure. So there's a couple of reasons. And the one I would say, you know, like as far as not going from, you know, County to state to national, I'm already basically at the state level because LA is that large. So just to mm -hmm. give perspective, like if someone from the Midwest was, chairing a state and they're like, why don't you go to state? Well, you know, no offense, but if you want to go there, my county affiliate is the same size as your state affiliate. And we probably do, uh, you know, the same level of activism every month. So I think, you know, we're about on par with that. But what really inspired me to run and why I announced so early, because people have asked, why, why did you announce so early? It's only been six or eight months since, you know, our election. Well, it's because the national party's absolute failure to rebuke the lockdowns. I, and and I see people dropping, uh, they're saying they don't want to renew, they don't want to join. And I'm trying to tell them, please hold on. Uh, I understand and I hear your pain and your frustration. I'm embarrassed too, but I'm going to run in 2022. So why don't you help me reform the party in a meaningful way rather than just bail on it and just kind of be on your own? Like, let's do this together. Uh, that's the biggest thing. But, you know, I want I want to see the party put liberty at the forefront of its messaging again. And I think that this is, you know, like a big part of that, because this is like, you know, an, a, 
egregious offense against our really basic liberties. So this is foundational stuff. You know, can I go outside of my house? Can I, can I work? Can I, can I walk down the street uh, at whatever hour I want? The answer is no in a lot of states. And I want the Libertarian Party to be a more welcoming place for libertarians because we both know that it's, it's not that welcoming to everyone right now. I want that to change. So it was specifically the lockdowns and the, the uh, response, or I guess lack of response to the lockdowns that really inspired you. No, I have to go get involved at the national level because you were not happy with the messaging that you were seeing out of the Libertarian Party at that particular level. Uh, so do you think that, like, I mean, for me personally, like th- it's so obvious that this this past year should be the libertarian moment. There is nothing more clear. I mean, we can debate. It's even more clear than the war on drugs, which to me is like the most clear violation of egregious violation of civil liberties. This is even worse than that. I didn't think there could be anything worse than that. That would actually happen in my lifetime. But here we are uh, where we, where we're not just telling people what you can put in your body. Uh, we're telling people if you can get together with your family, I mean th- this and, and, and it's being accepted in mass. Uh, a lot of people aren't happy with it. Uh, maybe some people complain about it, but they're complaining about it in the context of this is how it is. Uh, this is what the government can do. And now that it's been established that the government can do this at every level and get away with it, uh, it's a it's an awful, awful precedent to set that there has been this this much compliance overall, this little protest from this. And if the Libertarian Party is going to stand for anything at all, how could it not be? How could, it almost seems like it's silly to talk about anything else but lockdowns at, at this point in time. It does seem absurd. It seems absurd that the National Party in its messaging sort of steps around it awkwardly. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we've got a lot of other things going on in the country. And I'm like, not really, because we're not allowed to because of lockdowns. And we should be talking about that. Um, I don't want people to think that I'm just like, I'm running because I'm mad about their Twitter. I mean, I got to tell you, uh, the Twitter and social media is horribly disappointing. And it seems like that's the whole purpose is to just disappoint people on Twitter. That's what the party does. But there's a lot of other problems at National, too. Um, You know, there are some good people on the the National XCOM. I'm not saying, oh, they all suck, chuck them in the trash. But it's... It's the culture of the party and the culture of the party at the national level is why we have this like embarrassing reaction to lockdowns and why we're afraid of offending people. You know, we sort of have this like golden calf of like worshiping uh, and catering to progressivism uh, instead of trying to create our own culture or be counterculture. We reflect culture and that's not a good thing that the party should do. Shouldn't do it pro- with progressivism. Shouldn't do it with conservatism. Like we should actually be libertarians, and we should be unapologetic about it. I mean, for crying out loud, there's a libertarian party in Cuba. Do you think they're the party of soft communism over there? <laughs> like, no, they're now, not. I, I happen to know for a fact they are. They are not at all. I mean, the the libertarians in Cuba are hardcore. And if you want to talk about people that are brave, people that are actually standing up for something and, and when they're in true danger. I mean, the Libertarian Party people in Cuba, they literally get snatched from their homes and and get disappeared. And then maybe they show up, some of them get, get out, maybe some don't. Like, these people are in true, true, true danger, and they speak out about it in a place like Cuba, where even as bad as things are here with lockdowns, I still don't feel like we're quite Cuba. And they're 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 so incredibly brave. It makes it even more ridiculous that here in the United States there is not a more vocal um, vocal opposition to specifically these lockdowns, uh, especially at the national level. And uh, I'm kind of curious because I know a lot of people will be thinking, well, okay, the chairmanship is not really about messaging, or it's really not about being a figurehead of the party necessarily. It's more about uh, sort of a, a process position. It's about being the most organized and and really letting candidates be candidates and letting state affiliates be state affiliates. So how do you view the actual position of chair, um, either how it has been, how it has been utilized, or how it should be utilized? Do you think that the chair should be more seen as like the leader of the party, as someone who should be um, kind of spearheading the messaging, or should they be s- somebody that's more behind the scenes and maybe maybe having a guiding hand of sorts, but still sort of generally letting affiliates and candidates kind of do their own thing? Or maybe there's, you know, maybe there's some kind of mix to this that, that I, don't, I haven't really mentioned there. Well, I think there is a mix. And I think that the chair needs to be using his or her position to get as much media attention as possible and framing that and controlling the narrative, you know, of that media attention and not just, you know, 
answering every question the way that they want things answered. You know, the chair needs to really take charge of messaging when the when they're reached out to by the media. Uh, there's a lot that the chair should be doing. And there's a lot that the chair does. And some of the stuff the chair does, the chair shouldn't be doing. You know, like, I think that we need some restructuring because we're not oriented towards success. Uh, we're not really oriented towards anything at the national level. No one seems to know what the national party does. So then when you ask, what does the chair do? People are like, well, the, you know, the chair runs meetings and the chair helps to populate certain committees. And, you know, like the, there's some administrative stuff the chair does. Okay, what does the party do? Like, what does that actually mean? And then people are like, I have no idea. So, you know, I could, I could talk all about what I think the chair should and shouldn't do. It, people don't even have a framework for understanding of why that matters. Um, we, see, we tend to recreate the wheel structurally at the national party level every two to six years because we're not successful. And we're not successful because we're not oriented towards success. We don't really know what we're doing. We're not trying to be successful. And we're not obviously oriented very well towards liberty right now, or we'd be speaking out against the lockdowns. How do you f define success when you're speaking about success, you know, for the Libertarian Party in this way? Because a lot of people will look at success in different ways. Some people might look at success as getting the most votes for president, or some people might look at it as getting the most people in office across the country. Some people might just look at it as growing the party or you know, how many, how many dues-paying members do we have. So what are your actual metrics? What do you mean when you say success? I think that that's something that we all need to talk about a lot more often because no one agrees on the metric for success. Yeah, I mean, ha imagine an actual business like a, a company that uh, forms their company and yeah, there there's people in the company that like talking about liberty or libertarian ideas or something, but but there's no product and there's no met there's no like okay, we have to hit these sales goals or or, or these goals by this time. So that's going to be reflected in how that company operates. And the company will probably last about six months because there's no, you know, there's no actually metric of, of if they're a success. So the money's just going to go down the drain. So do you see the LP national kind of operating in a similar way to like a business that has no business plan? And then every two years we try to change the business plan, but we never actually do. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or we change it, but it's not a meaningful change. And so we don't see, you know, we don't see any meaningful improvement. I think for success, we need to see incremental growth. Uh, I don't think that we need to actually flood internal party membership with, uh, you know, millions of new libertarians because those people are probably not going to be principled or understand. So we need to actually see incremental growth happen, you know, like aggressive, but incremental growth happen over a, a series of a few years. And that'll tell us that we, we're doing things right and we're consistently doing things right rather than just have like one or two blips that people like and then we screw up. We need to see people elected at local level office. Now, a lot of that is going to be dependent upon state and county parties. It can't all be at national. But one of the problems that national has is, is we do have resources for county and state level affiliates. Uh, a woman named Cara Schultz offers a lot of resources and she's good at it. A guy named Apollo offers a lot of resources and he's good at it. But when you have problems at the national surface level, like horrible messaging and uh, combative and rude uh, maybe staff members or committee members when they're having all kinds of drama with the states or they are or the state is perceiving it that way even if they're not then those resources don't get utilized because the state and county parties they have no interest or faith in the national party so it's like we churn out all this stuff at the national level it doesn't get used and no one cares and then the people just poke fun at national and say haha you suck your twitter's awful and that must be the the end of it we got to change that and then we can actually see maybe a little bit more success at the county level and state level as people start to utilize nationals resources. Uh, we did have several wins in 2020, but it wasn't as many as I had hoped. Uh, California had some good wins. So we're getting there, right? But, but I don't know that I'd call it a success. We need more for it to be successful. And maybe we should do some analytics and studies and figure that out so that we actually, you know, can, can pin it to something meaningful rather than just guessing wildly in the dark. I don't know that we have developed any of those resources and shared them with the states. So how about sharing metrics for success and, and defining them? What else? Messaging. Uh, when our messaging is better, then we're going to get better feedback. And that's a pretty good metric for success, right? You're looking at negative and positive feedback throughout the years. And when we get that, it helps to grow things through a grassroots way at the, at the local level. And that is, you know, isn't that what this is about? We know that our next presidential candidate isn't going to get, you know, 60% of the vote. 
So can't we use it to help, you know, in another way? I think that would be a really good metric for success. Hey there, kitty cats. I need to take a quick little break to remind you that if you love coffee, and I need coffee. I need coffee to get through interviews at this point because, let's face it, I just passed 40. I need a little extra kick in my step. And I get that kick from our good friends at Lauren Zotti Italy. These guys have some premium coffee blends at an amazing price. You want to check them out at laurenzotti.coffee. That's laurenzotti.coffee, not .com. And what I love about these guys is that they aren't just fine coffee connoisseurs. They are also not just entrepreneurs themselves, but they are out there helping other people start their own businesses. Uh, They help people procure equipment, financing, and everything else they need to start their own coffee shops. So please do check out our friends at Lauren Zotti Italy. Don't forget to use discount code LIONS for 10% off your order. How much do you think that the chair specifically should be taking the lead on messaging? Now, obviously, we both know uh, the former chair, Nicholas Sarwark, pretty active in in messaging in in his own way. Uh, Whether you liked it or not, no one can say he wasn't putting his opinions and thoughts out there all the time. Right. Um, How much of that was filtered into like the Libertarian Party social media? I I don't I don't really know necessarily, but no doubt that that Nick was very vocal and got into a lot of, you know, a a lot of opinionated spats would be a very nice way to put all that. Uh, But, you know, personally, I, I mean, I. I haven't seen too much one way or the other at all from from Joe Bishop Henchman in terms of like his personal opinions being out there. Uh, I probably don't really know much of his personal opinions on, on much of anything, and I'm not that I'm not saying that as a criticism. It's just it's a def- definitely a stark difference I see between this current chair and the last chair. Um, how do you feel that the chair should be approaching messaging? Um, I don't want to say should it be more like Nick. I, I just mean more like Nick, not in terms of what he's saying, but more like Nick in terms of you know should you be putting your opinions out there a lot and 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 connecting them to Libertarian National, or should it be more like Joe, who seems to be more just operating behind the scenes, doing his thing, not being really bold and out there with his own own positions? Well, my personal... And may- and maybe he is, and I just haven't seen it. I mean, it's possible, but I haven't seen too much that has stood out to me. He's not. Um, I don't have a lot of, you know, terrible things to say about the guy. I, I think he's a perfectly nice person from my limited interactions with him. But I will tell you that the chair has a lot of control over the social media. He helps to populate that social media committee. Uh, I believe he also appoints the chair of that committee, at least in a temporary fashion. I need to go back. I always and- wondered how this works. So it's, yeah. it's an actual committee of people that that collectively sort of work on, on social media? Yes. And we don't know who makes what tweets. And I believe that there's some sort of NDA, you know. I've been I've been spending a tremendous amount of time digging through and, and reading about all of this stuff and talking with people on the, you know, on the the national committee to understand really like what the problems are. Don't think that I'm just like a shoot from the hip. Oh, I think I'm just gonna go up there and run things because I know better. Like I think anybody who wants to to go and, you know, try to wrangle this beast needs to actually understand what's going on. And this is one of the criticisms that I have of how the party is being run right now is you see committees that are populated with people who are not doing a good job and we're getting really negative feedback. And it's kind of the same crap that we've been having for the previous like four years. So why don't we learn from our mistakes and do something better? And that is something that the chair has has some control over. Uh, You know, if you don't want to be out there in the front uh, doing all the messaging, okay, like people have different skill sets, but put people in who are good at their job, people who are good at messaging, not just people who are going to parrot your uh, ideas about, you know, like your, your personal ideas. If, <laughs> sometimes your ideas suck, right? You know, <laughs> and that's okay. You know, like I, I'm not an engineer, like don't have not me. my ideas. My ideas are great, but a, right? a generic person out there possibly. It's like sometimes, sometimes we're like, not, not everyone is good at everything. Uh, you know, like I suck at basketball and maybe, you know, there are people who suck at social media messaging. And it might be because they just are, that's not their skill set, but it might also because, you know, you've got terrible ideas. So <laughs> let's, it is what it is. I definitely want to clean that up. And, you know, I got to say that the chair does have quite a bit of control over that. And the chair controls, a, you know, maybe a third of what goes on at the committee level. And there are, and committees are how we run the party. I know it sounds annoying and boring, but, but it's true. And, you know, the chair has a good say how that some of that stuff goes down. They get to appoint a lot of committee members and then other people get voted on and so on and so forth. So would you look to like populate a social committee, a social media committee, for example, with like, I, I'm trying to think about how you might go about um, 
populating a committee in a way that you know you want to get an output of better messaging but i think what a lot of people are going to be concerned about because and you've you've heard these criticisms i know because you've been very active uh with the mises caucus and there's a lot of people out there that that will say like like this is why i don't want angela mccardle to be chair because i don't quite see things the same way i'm a libertarian but i don't i don't view messaging the same way as the mises caucus i don't think that they should be they should all come taking over and have michael malice running the social media or whatever crazy thing they're saying now um i, I have my own take on libertarianism you know or my own take on libertarian messaging like what would you say to people like that that are libertarians that hold made the same beliefs that you and i do but they look at messaging very differently and they don't like the idea of of you know a certain subsect of the party or what have you uh coming in and just sort of doing things quote unquote their way sure well i'd ask those people what's your metric for success if we want to put out very like safe beltway messaging that doesn't offend anyone does that grow the party uh, I think that it gets us votes in election cycles when we have uh, two other insane people on the political stage and we are the, the same choice. But I don't believe that that is what grows our party and what keeps people's interests. And I'm sure that we could do all kinds of studies about that. And uh, that may happen. You know, that that may be something that I do before uh, before we get into the really like the close uh, couple of months before the chair race in 2022 is you're probably going to see a study put out about how libertarians should approach messaging and what success it gets. I want our messaging to generate success. I want us to get new libertarians into the party. I want us to pick the low hanging fruit of people who have been libertarians for a long time and haven't joined the party. I want our messaging to be geared towards that and oriented towards that first before I start trying to go after progressives and neocons because those people are far less likely to join our party and help us. And we need help. We need help at the local level. We need help at the state level. We need help at the national level too. But I think as, as we've all seen from the storm in the Capitol thing, uh, we're not going to have a, any kind of like attempted coup takeover of the white house with a grassroots movement. You want change to happen. It's going to happen locally. And so we need to, we need to grow our parties with libertarians. Let's say that you are uh, elected chair in 2022 in Reno, Nevada. We'll certainly be there. The Lions of Liberty contingent will certainly be there. Um, what would be your strategy in terms of, because one thing you talked a lot about is that you know, the chair should be out there as like, uh, you know, in the media, getting as much media mm -hmm. as possible. Uh, how would you personally, how do you think you'd be able to utilize your your personal skill set and your personal history uh, here in Los Angeles and everything you've learned over the years? How would you be able to utilize that to actually get media attention, to actually get yourself on, say, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, representing the Libertarian Party and speaking libertarian values when you know that the, the, the messaging you're going to be giving goes completely counter to the messaging that they want? want to put out there like i'm not even sure if either any of these networks have aired a single anti-lockdown uh, uh person i don't know i don't watch them but i i would be suspicious if they if they had if someone had claimed that they had so how do you, how would you plan to actually get that messaging out there to the public actually get that media attention while still maintaining your your you know your principled you know on on you know on liberty on liberty <laughs> on libertarian point pointing message. Wow, that was a, I, I just mauled that last sentence, but you know what I'm saying? I got the idea. Okay. So first <laughs> of all, never beg for attention. Uh, can you think of any time in your life when someone has just completely ignored you mistreated you, you know, and you begged and begged and begged for their attention and you got respect? Never. That That's not it's hard to respect yourself when you do that. Yeah. And for the first starters, yeah. it's embarrassing. And, and people make mm -hmm. fun of us for that. So we don't beg the mainstream media for attention. Well, this is what I hated about the whole let her speak th thing with Joe Jorgensen. Like, please, 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 corporate media, please, 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 crony capitalist organization owned by the Republicans and, and Republicans and Democrats. Can we please participate in your completely rigged game? And the answer will be only if we see a way that it benefits us and we don't. So no. And and how does that how did that benefit anybody by us having that messaging out there of but, but, but like you just said, begging, begging for attention for months? It was cringy. Pathetic. It didn't work. You know, as the county chair, me and, and Rachel Johnson, who's the vice chair of L.A. County, like we we planned the event. Rachel did. Uh, she did most of the work in L.A. on that event. We did the let her speak car caravan thing. I, I didn't like it, uh, but I put in the work and I was like, all right, fine. You know what? Let's see how it goes. Ugh, it didn't get media attention. You know what did get media attention is when I had an, the first big anti-lockdown uh 
protest. There were like about 750 people at this thing that they showed up at, uh, at uh, Los Angeles City Hall and we had a big car caravan and everything. And the flyers that I sent out had encouraged, had a little note on it that said, encouraging people to wear masks to avoid police detection. And the media caught that. And they I love that. I love that angle on it. They were like, what? <laughs> we are encouraging you to wear masks, not for the reason everyone else wants you to. <laughs> what? So the media contacted me immediately. They were like, Angela, this is Spectrum One News, which is like the local CNN. It's very progressive. And people who are active in local politics watch it. And they're like, we need, we need you to be on. We need to interview you. And so they, I was very prepared for the interview. It went very well. Were they aggressive with me? Yes. They weren't awful to me, though. Uh, you just have to, ex- you have to know what to expect, which is another reason that I would like to, you know, do a little bit better job that I think is happening at national now is because I, I have some practice at this. And, you know, we went back and forth about whether or not uh, death rates matter or what this matters, what that matters. I, you know, I talked about the untold consequences, the unforeseen effects of the lockdown, how it was hurting all the people that they care about, poor people, homeless people, undocumented people. And then they got to, is it really true that you told people to wear masks to avoid police detection? And I just said, yes, absolutely. And then I launched into like unreasonable searches and, you know, like how you have a right to protest and the police shouldn't be targeting you for exercising your, your first amendment rights. And they were just like, wow. All right. Well, that's it. You know, it worked. This is something else that's such something libertarians need to be the leaders on here because what I'm seeing now, like, especially out of the media, I mean, like you, I think it was USA Today that had some, some article or or post that it had a picture of people that were protesting at the Capitol and said, help us identify these people. Like the, the media is actively trying to dox people who are protesting something. Um, that's not just like, that's not like they're saying, look, here's someone who we saw commit a murder, help us identify him. This is people that are just seen at a protest. It doesn't mean they entered the Capitol. It doesn't mean they did anything illegal. And now we just have to identify identify them, which will what? Probably co- possibly cost them their job, possibly mm-hmm. put them in bodily harm because there's a lot of crazy people out there that might see their name in USA Today and go track them down because people are freaking nuts about politics right now. So, I mean, how do we fight against this kind of level of of insidiousness that has permeated uh, not just the government, the media, um, almost all aspects of culture, how can we actually fight this? Because this is just one of the, the scariest trends I, I see. Um, laws are one thing, but this is cultural now. This is this is being led by the media, and m- maybe even more so than it is by the government. Right. We need to speak out and say that we uphold the freedom of speech, and we also need to say that we respect people's right to privacy. Because, you know, government issues aside, culturally, I respect people's right to privacy. I'm not going and peering in people's windows, you know, with my telescope. Oh, what are you doing in there? Well, technically I'm not on your, right? Technically I'm not on your private property. Ha ha ha. You know, that is awful behavior. And that's what the media does. And, you know, like we get, oh, I get so aggravated. And I'm sure a lot of people do when libertarians will say, "Mm, well, actually that's not an app violation. So it's okay. It's a private company as they're being shuffled into, uh, you know, privately owned, uh, you know, Concentration camp. Right. I'm like, hey, you're right. It's technically allowed by the non-aggression principle. It's still atrocious behavior and we shouldn't support it. We don't have to, you know, pat Twitter on the back when they ban people that we don't like. Don't celebrate that, you know? And then what we, we pat Twitter on the back when they ban us. Yay. I'm glad a private company has kicked me out, even though I've been... uh, what is going I, on? I, I have seen libertarians. Um, I don't want to put them in quotes. I'm not a one true Scotsman. If you believe libertarian stuff, fine, I'll believe you. But I've seen libertarians, maybe I'm doing air quotes, maybe I'm not, say, actually support like Amazon taking down Parler and cheering this thing as the free market working. And I just think, like, look, even if you agree with the action, please don't be as pathetically, um, you know, not able to actually see the the full scope of a scenario um, as unnuanced as to actually look at that as a free market action. Give me a fucking break. Like, don't act like Amazon, uh, Twitter are just your average mom and pop privately owned business. Maybe by the letter of the law they are, but come on. 
stop it, people. And to, to actually support that action, it's one thing to say, well, I don't like it or that, but you know, I don't like the people on Parlor, uh, but the, maybe they have some right to do it. But but to actually like cheer it and and actively be happy about it, be happy about descending this country and the culture into further chaos, because that's all that's going to happen by pushing, even if they are all racists, uh, even if Parlor was all racists, uh, all that banning racists would do is prove to the racists that these things that are they're complaining about the biases in the system that they feel are targeting them now uh, are justified. It's just confirming everything. Uh, when you ban Alex Jones from all platforms, you're confirming that Alex Jones must be onto something. Just like when you ban racists, or you—I'm not even—I shouldn't even say racist, but ban people who might even have some kind of undesirable view. You're just confirming their views and making sure they get further entrenched. Uh, so no matter what your perspective on, on the the rights of Amazon to stop hosting Parler or the rights of Apple to take them off their store, um, to cheer it is just idiotic. Yeah. I mean, you have the right to walk down the street and walk up to random people and insult them to their face. That's gross behavior. And that's sort of, you know, it's sort of... uh, And if someone, and if one of those people punches you in the face, it will be an an NIP violation. But I will still think, maybe you should have seen that coming. Right, right. And and we should see coming the fact that a lot of these institutions are going to come after us. We're just a lot smaller. And obviously, you know, there's already been plenty of libertarians and libertarian pages and and organizations, too, that have been kicked off of social media. There was a great culling that happened, I think, in 2018, right before the midterm elections. So it happens every year. Uh, we should We should anticipate it and we should start speaking out against it. Hey, you know what? We know that you technically have a right to do this, but it's bad for the country. It's bad for the culture. We should stop dehumanizing people and trying to ostracize everyone just because we disagree with them. I saw two things. One of my friends said that uh, he, he thought the good response to that was, I'm sorry that you think so poorly of your own message that you can't do a better job with your messaging about libertarianism. I thought that was a pretty good way to put it for these libertarians who are, you know, championing uh, deletion from, you know, of our president from Twitter. Um, I saw another friend who was a progressive saying that conservatives need to be punished, all of them. We have to punish them for aligning themselves with Donald Trump and for not disavowing, you know, like a laundry list of Republican things, not even white nationalism and that kind of fringe stuff, but just conservative values. We have to punish them. And I thought, like, when in history has it ever worked to our benefit where we took a group of people and outright punished them and ostracized them and ridiculed them? Like, that was kind of what happened with Nazi Germany. Like, you know, Germans, they didn't really do great in World War One. They, they weren't on a good side. And it's hard to say who was. That was that war was a mess. But then we really, like, stuck it to them. And they got really pissed off and did that whole Nazi Germany thing not long after. So maybe we should kind of tone down on our revenge. I don't think it's a good way. I don't think it's good for our country. Especially when you had 70 million people, uh, you know, vote for Donald Trump. Probably more people like, I mean, the outside observer is going to call you and me a conservative. So now we're part of that too. I mean, as far as, as far as they're concerned, as far as people from that side of things are concerned, we're exactly the same as someone who actually did support Donald Trump, someone who actually you know, did go out and vote for him. So combine the 70 million with all the people that they're going to lump into it, no matter what, we're literally talking about half the country at this point. Yeah. It's, that's not a good look. I, I don't like how, I don't like what that bodes for our future. So I would like to see us not champion censorship revenge, uh, punishment. And I would say that I feel the same way about that for internal party stuff too. A big concern that people have with the Mises caucus and my, you know, my involvement with them. And by the way, I, I am very involved in the Mises caucus. I'm not like sort of involved. I'm very committed. (laughs) I'm just putting that out there because, you know, in case anyone's uncertain, I'm going to say I'm, I'm owning everything that I'm about. I'm not a person of secrets, but I don't want to kick people out of the party. I want to radicalize everyone. If you're a pragmatist and you're on the fence and you're unsure about messaging and you think that we need to be more Gary Johnson-like and reasonable and appeal to people, I want to tell you that we're in a post-rational society right now. And uh, I don't think that we're going to have a, a very good chance of reasoning with people who, who hate us. And we need to radicalize and we need to be radical and bold and unapologetic in our messaging. And I want you on board with that. I don't want to kick people out. I want to bring them further in, bring them back into the party. Yeah, so because I, I, that is something I hear a lot is people saying they don't like the language 
coming out of the the people like the, the people at the Mises Caucus or people like Dave Smith that are saying we're taking over, we're coming to take over. Um, so what what you're saying is you don't mean take over as in kick all kick everybody out. Uh, what you want to do is is take over the messaging and influence the people in the party. You want them there. You want them as as part of it as, as you know as as much of a part of it as now. You want them more a part of it. But you want to influence them, and you want them to be radicalized. You want that radical messaging coming from all aspects and and all people within the party as much as possible. Absolutely, and I mean we have people who are who are prags in the party who who work really hard and they do good work. I don't want to disturb that work for people who are running candidate trainings and things like that. Like, heck, no, I don't want to kick you out of the party. I want you to. I want people to use your resources, you know, better and get more out of them. Uh, but. But in order to do that, we need radical messaging that's going to reach people and wake them up. And then there are going to be more people who are interested in, hey, I want to take that training. I want to take that workshop. I want to run for office. Uh, that's what we need to do. And, and I don't want people to be scared of being a libertarian. That's not, that's not good for our party culture. It needs to feel fun. It needs to yeah. feel fun again. Because I'll tell you what, when I when the Ron Paul stuff started happening, when he was getting fired up at the debates, and I was like, connecting with so many people, uh, sharing his YouTube videos, seeing the money bombs, and like watching the money come in, and just seeing that excitement, like that was that are some of the best memories of my life. Are just being alone in my apartment, looking at my computer as people cheered at Ron Paul rallies, as people chanted "End the Fed," and as I connected with people in real life uh, from that. Uh, I mean that that was so fun. And yeah, it was disheartening when you saw a lot of the vote totals come in. It was disheartening when you saw him robbed of his speaking slot at the, at the RNC. Uh, it was disheartening when you you know see all these things happening at caucuses. It's so obvious all the, all the various ways or when he gets screwed by the mm-hmm. media. Um, but that's part of the fun. That's part of what brings you all together. And yeah, maybe it, it, a lot of, there's no doubt, if you want to get involved in the Libertarian Party and get involved in, in races and get involved in activism, you're going to face disappointment. Like, you're, you're going to. Like, I I don't care how low your expectations are going in. You're going to find disappointment because you're going to run into walls. You're going to run into people that just won't hear your message. Um, That's just part of it. You're going to have to deal with that. Um, But, you know, this is something that we all need to get excited about. Because when when you're excited, when you're having fun along the way, you're not really caring about the disappointment. Yeah, it comes and it happens, but you're moving on because you're having such a damn blast doing it. And And that's something that I think you've done such a great job of out here in Los Angeles is trying to make things fun. Like having events uh, with bands and, you know, events where, where Brian and I come and kind of do a, a comedy shtick of sorts. I mean, going to that stuff is so fun. And you need to translate that message into all levels of the Libertarian Party where someone might get involved with an event because it looks fun. Not even because it looks like it's Libertarians. You know, that, like I said, that's, that's one of the things you've done so well out here in Los Angeles. And maybe that's something we can find a way to translate to the higher levels, to the state parties, to the national messaging. Make this whole damn thing fun again. Yes. It, people, I want to see the Ron Paul Revolution 2.0 pop off within the Libertarian Party. I want people to have fun and be passionate again. I want people like, sure, when we lose, you know, like, oh, it's sad, but it's sort of like expected. But when we win, it is, oh, it's like so satisfying and so much fun. And I would like people to really like feel that experience, you know. And even if we can't win every, every race, every election, if we just win, you know, a tiny sliver of them. For more people to get involved in that and for us to really like coalesce and rally behind those wins, I think would be just like incredibly uplifting. Uh, Like, you know, one of the things I got to hand it to the Mises Caucus for is, you know, say what you want about it if you're on the outside looking in. But our internal caucus culture is pretty great. We get along really well. We are very active. We we are fundraising. We're funding candidates and we don't actually have like a lot of drama. Uh, I think that we could do that at the national level. And I think that uh, I think it's going to take a shift in leadership, but I do think it's possible. And I think making things more fun would probably help that quite a bit. Indeed. I think we could all use a little more fun, especially uh, with how everything's been the past year and uh, all everything going on at, at every level doesn't look good for liberty uh, on the surface. But guess what? Where there is a uh, where there's darkness, there is room for light. And, and I hope that people like us are going to bring the light, bring the fun uh, back to this thing. So, Angela, thank you so much for, for joining me and, and talking about your chair campaign. Uh, I'm sure as this process goes on, I plan to do uh, what I've done over the years, host debates 
and that sort of thing. So this, this conversation will certainly be continuing quite a bit over the next year and a half or so uh, until that convention in Reno. Uh, before I let you go, Angela, I want you to just go through the little roundup of how people can find you, how they can find you on social media, how they can reach out to you if, if they're um, you know interested in getting involved in, in your campaign or with the Mises Caucus, whatever you got to do. Shoot. Great. So if you want to get involved at the local level, hit us up at the LA County website. It's lplac.us. If you want to get updates from me, you can go to angelamacardle.com. I have a Patreon and you can find information on that and on social media uh, on my website. And I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Angela McArdle. You can usually find my uh, campaign stuff at Angela for Congress. That's me. Angela McArdle, it's been a blast, and uh, hopefully I'll see you in person soon here in Los Angeles. Yes. Take care, Angela. Keep up the great work. Keep on Thank roaring. Thank you. All right, my Liberty Kitty Cats, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Angela McArdle. It's great to finally give her the full Mark Claire Lions of Liberty interview treatment after I've known her for a couple of years now out here in Los Angeles. Uh, very excited to see what comes out of her chair run starting really early. Things are heating up really early here in the Libertarian Party. And uh, in this interview, we kind of touched on, you know, you guys have probably heard by now, Dave Smith has been out there talking about uh, sort of taking over the party along with the, the Mises Caucus. And uh, one person, now, as, as many of you know, over the last uh, few months, I've hosted several debates with Dave Smith where he is taking on some of his online critics, uh, Andy Craig and Pride member Archie Flower were his two opponents in those debates. Well, this month I've got a different kind of opponent lined up for Dave. Uh, this actually was someone who reached out to me about this debate and he had an idea for the debate uh, based on what Dave has been talking out as far as trying to uh, take over the Libertarian Party uh, create a more libertarian message, kind of bring the Ron Paul movement fully into the Libertarian Party. And that was state senator, former state senator, I should say, uh, Eric Brakey of Maine. Now, Eric Brakey has been on this program a couple of times, as of course Dave Smith has as well. And uh, Eric approached myself and Dave about this debate because Eric is still strategically uh, believes in the idea of working within the GOP, working within the Republican Party. He thinks all of the liberty movement energy would be much more effective uh, channeling through the, the Republican Party, whereas Dave uh, is putting all his efforts and his energy in channeling that same Ron Paul movement, the energy of it, into the Libertarian Party. So this debate is going to be about which strategy is more prudent, which strategy is the right one to take, which is the best path forward for that Ron Paul Liberty movement. So that debate, I would say it'll be airing next week. Uh, the truth is, it already happened. <laughs> and our, our, I always stream these things. Uh, our big interviews, big debates. I stream those live to the Lions of Liberty Pride secret Facebook group for our patrons only for as little as $5 a month. You can get access to all of our exclusive bonus content, early access to debates like that one. Uh, we also have Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Drunken Howie Story. There are just so many bonus shows that we do. We really make sure that our patrons get their money's worth. Of course, as you go up the tiers, we have uh, people at various levels who are getting even better perks, uh, merchandise, discounts on merchandise, uh, the Nittany level, $50 a month. You can take over an episode of the show and become a producer as we do our Nittany special each and every month. Uh, of course, the perks just get better and better, but for only five bucks, just a measly five bucks less than a latte at Starbucks, you can support the greatest libertarian variety show on earth right here at Lions of Liberty. Of course, the variety that comes from my compatriots, my fellow Lions of Liberty, including Brian McWilliams, who just smacks you straight up in the face every single week with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt wraps things up, not on Fridays, no, 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 on Thursdays now with his new show, which is also a continuation of his old show, but new name, new logo, new intro, new everything. It's Finding Freedom. Finding Freedom is now the third show here on Lions of Liberty every single Thursday. So you can get that last shot of liberty, that last dose you need right before you get into your weekend. You can start your weekend a little bit earlier now, now that you've got Lions of Liberty on Thursdays. You get all these shows for free, my friends. Three shows for the price of one. Price is free. 
All you gotta do is smash the heck out of that subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher, whether it's Apple. And if you're over at Apple, please do leave us a five-star rating and a great review. As much as I can't stand some of the moves Apple has made lately, they do control the algorithms that also filter out to a bunch of different podcast apps. So it really does help us when we get those five-star ratings and those great reviews, specifically on Apple Podcasts. Uh, But yeah, that's about all I got, my friends. And that debate with Dave Smith and Eric Brakey will air one week from today or right now if you're one of our amazing patrons. Again, that's patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Until next time, my friends. Live long and live free. Is this thing on? Is this thing on? Are you still with me? That's right. I am still here. Are you still here? If you're still here, one of two things are possible. You're one of our biggest fans who listens to every single show to the end, including past the uh, outro music, or you fell asleep and maybe you just woke up and were like, what? What is? What? did I fall asleep during a podcast? What happened here? Either way, uh, I want to let you guys know about something that's been going on lately that I'm sure you're aware of, This uh, what's been going on on social media. We see a lot of people being deplatformed uh, from Twitter, from Facebook, and now we saw Parler has been completely deplatformed, uh, at least temporarily, off the internet altogether, thanks to Amazon uh, and Apple and Google Play. Um, so things are getting crazy right now. We want to make sure that uh, we can stay in touch with our patrons. So we're going to take a few steps uh, so we can capture emails, phone numbers, and, and that kind of thing a little more efficiently. But in the meantime, we have created an alternate Facebook group. We have, of course, on Facebook, our Lions of Liberty Forum, as well as our Lions of Liberty Pride secret Facebook group. We started a Lions of Liberty Forum on MeWe. That's M-E-W-E, MeWe. I am also on there. So if you're looking for some alternatives, that is where we have decided to at least plant a mini flag for now. Now, as we know, uh, even sites like MeWe are probably not safe, ultimately. So we're going to be coming up with some solutions in the meantime. Uh, one of our great listeners, Dan Roberts, has helped to set us uh, up something on over on like the I guess it's called like the Fediverse uh, of social media. Uh, so we'll try to get that information out to you when that we're kind of in the testing phase with that now too. Uh, so we are looking for alternatives. We are actively looking for alternatives. So we just want to let you know that. But for now, find me on MeWe. Find the Lions of Liberty Forum on MeWe as well.